Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Disenfranchise. We're a podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. My name is Stephen Foxworthy. I am one of your hosts. And that guy over there uh, sweeping his long mane behind his head as he sheathes his mighty sword, that's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hi, Stephen. You forgot to mention that my sword is also on fire. I, you know, I did. I was saving that for later in the episode. I wanted that to be a cool reveal uh, that happened as you poured some kind of liquid down your sword that managed to catch on fire before you stab your foe through the face. Yeah, it's a pretty badass move. It is. It. I. I can't. I don't know how anyone can get around it. Quite frankly. No. No. It. It very much reeks of something I would do in D and D. And there you go. And in fact, this entire movie reeks of uh, something fresh out of D&D. Brett, what movie are we talking about this week? Uh, we're talking about uh, Vin Diesel's uh, The Last Witch Hunter. Yes, The Last Witch Hunter from 2015, uh, directed by Breck Eisner, uh, written by uh, Corey Goodman, Matt Sazama, and Buck Sharpless. Uh, and starring, of course, the aforementioned Vin Diesel, Rose Leslie, Elijah Wood, Olafur Dari Olafsson, sorry, uh, Rena Owen, Julie Engelbrecht, and Michael Kane. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael Kane. Of course, we uh, addressed him earlier in the uh, Italian Job episode from uh, the 1969 Italian Job episode from way back in February. And uh, now he's back. This time as the 37th Dolan, uh, a name that is uh, weird. Uh, well, first, did you mention Elijah Wood? I didn't mention Elijah okay, Wood. Okay, I missed, I missed him and you rattling off all those weird Germanic names. Um, I, th- okay, there was one. <laughs> Whatever. Calm down. Oh, I mean, Elbrecht, Engelbrecht, that's okay, two. Fine. Yeah, I lost him in the shuffle there. Anyway, I was surprised to see him in this movie. That's why I say that. I know it, he kind of shows up and I'm like, what are you doing in this movie? Elijah Wood uh, was not really expect. Here's the thing. Anytime Elijah Wood shows up in something post fellowship of the ring, I'm always kind of surprised because those movies, if they did anything ensured that that man really does not have to work again in his life. No, but what I know of Elijah Wood, uh, it makes sense that he's in this movie. He's okay, there. so explain what you mean by that, because that's a, that's a very cryptic statement to just make. Is it? I mean, what I know of Elijah Wood, I'm not what? surprised he's in this movie. Yeah, are you not? I'm sorry. There, there's there's a lot of things that I assume you know about general, like the oh, general pop culture consciousness. Never assume I know anything, my friend. I mean, I've made that mistake multiple times. Yeah, uh, you should know better by now. <laughs> Elijah Wood is on record as being pretty nerdy and plays D D. so oh, okay. i'm not i mean that's again that's something that i thought the general populace knew um so <laughs> well here's the thing D is not my tempo of nerdity like i have played a couple of rpgs i have friends that play D, you being one of them uh, but i myself have never actually played D. Uh, so it's not like I don't keep my finger to the pulse of what nerdy uh, Hollywood celebrities are D&D aficionados. It's just not my that's uh, not a thing that I do. I know of some of the famous ones, Vin Diesel, uh, Joe Manganiello. I, like I know a couple of them, but Elijah Wood was one that had escaped my purview, unfortunately. Sure. We're getting way off track. Let's get back on track with the movie, please. Uh, <laughs> we're getting super sidetracked. In the bog here. Oh, yeah, because we never we never get sidetracked ever on the show ever. No, especially not when it's a movie we both don't like. We uh, are. We're famously focused individuals. Um, yeah, so this movie, uh, the movie that we're talking about today, Last Witch Hunter, uh, Brett and I did a little bit of talking before we started recording. Uh, neither one of us super big fans of it. Um, I enjoyed aspects of it, for sure. I mean, it's got like a Highlander meets Constantine kind of vibe with a little like you know sprinkle of D kind of tossed in for good measure uh but uh, anyone who's listened to our constantine episode might remember was not a super big fan of that movie um but i think part of what i liked the things i like most about this movie were the attempts at world building 
And it's kind of the attention to detail within those uh, pieces of world building that I think probably made me, at least to the extent that I am positive on this film, positive on this film. Uh, is it by and large a great movie? I would not say so, no. But it it does have some fun moments in it that I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple, I suppose. Um, I think I'm more. I think I'm more upset that I'm just. I think I was disappointed. Um, this is a situation where I went into this movie thinking I was really going to like it. I thought you were really going to like it too. I finished it and I'm like, this, this is right up Brett's alley. It's got, it's got lore. It's got D and D stuff. There's like witches. There's Vin Diesel with a big ass sword. Like, what's not to love? Uh, a lot, apparently. Um, apparently. It's uh, it's got the bare minimum of lore, uh, which isn't even enough to pique my interest. It's uh, it's got the bare minimum of D and D stuff. Like it's just generic fantasy. It's not really. Well, I mean, it's literally based on Vin Diesel's D and D character. Sure. So in that respect, I mean, you've got enough D and D there, and there are several flashbacks to the the witch hunter era where we see Vin Diesel as witch hunter Calder kind of hunting witches. No, no, you just get flashbacks to the same quest. He went on to kill the witch. You don't see him going on different quests at all. All the flashbacks are that same flashback to his one quest to kill the witch queen. Fine. You get flashbacks to the same quest. And honestly, that should make you happy. You also get flashbacks to him, like spending time with his family who he loves. Sure. So in that respect, it's got kind of like a gladiator thing going for it. Maybe. Oh, maybe. Definitely. I, does it? I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> When's the last time you saw Gladiator, though? I mean, it's been a you while. constantly get that same flashback of uh, what's his name? Uh, Russell Crowe walking through like fields of wheat and like his family and his like wife and son like running towards him and stuff. That's that's all over Gladiator. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I mean, this functions in very much the same way. I suppose. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I just maybe I went in with too high hopes and I became too critical of it over the time. I mean, I yeah, I, I probably should not have texted you and, and told you that I thought you were going to enjoy it because that might have set your expectations too high. Well, no, I mean, my expectations were high already. I responded to that text. With, I absolutely believe I'm going to like it a lot. Um, That's true. You did say that. So, yeah, no, it just because I mean, it has every it had everything going for it until it, me down. it didn't. Well, let's let's stop talking around this movie and let's start talking about this movie. Um, let's go ahead and do the plot in 60 seconds, which is the uh, part of the program where I flip a coin. Uh, not just any coin, though. It's the coin of justice. And the coin of justice decides uh, which of us, Brett or myself, will recount the plot of this film in 60 seconds or less. Uh, Brett, you just need to call the coin of justice in the air. So call it. Tails. And it is heads. So you, my friend, will... Recount the plot of 2015's The Last Witch Hunter in 60 seconds or less, or this podcast is free. Are you ready, sir? I never am, but let's go. <laughs> Fair enough. Your time starts now. All right. So uh, this uh, group of Viking looking dudes is on a quest to stop the Witch Queen and her Black Plague. Um, they managed to do that, but the Witch Queen curses the main guy, Calder, played by Vin Diesel, with immortality. Um, flash forward to modern day. He's been alive this entire time as the person who hunts witches. Uh, there's some shenanigans going on, and the priest that helps him uh, dies unexpectedly. 30 seconds. Turns out it's a plot by the evil witches. Uh, to resurrect the witch queen that he kills all those years ago. Um, they managed to do so, but he manages to stop them with the help of another good witch who thought she was a bad witch. Uh, it's a real Wizard of Oz situation. Um, and, Ten seconds. and uh, he loses his immortality, but he gets it back, and now there aren't any stakes if there were to be a sequel again. And uh, there's your time right there. All right. Um, you also missed out the part where it turns out that uh, Elijah Wood is a turncoat. Yeah, you know how much that part matters to the plot whatsoever? You're right. It, <laughs> it has nothing to do with it at all um, and is uh, fairly inconsequential. Because uh, honestly, the with the exception of the allegiance of Chloe, uh, the good witch who thought she was a bad witch, um, 
the movie pretty much ends right back where it started, except the looming threat of the witch queen is no more. Like that's, that's literally, that's the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, but basically like it ends, he, he's learned to trust someone uh, who's not his, you know, immediate right-hand secretary counselor guy played wonderfully by Michael Caine in too small of a role for this movie. I was, I was surprised Michael Caine was in this movie. He seems a little bit too big for this movie. Michael Caine has entered into this phase of his career, and let's go ahead and talk about it, because why the hell wouldn't we, where he just kind of shows up in stuff. Like, if you offer him a, a decent enough paycheck, he'll show up. Like, he has been in every Christopher Nolan movie since the first Batman, even if the role is just pretty tiny. Some other roles very similar to that uh, that you see him in around this time, 2011, he is in two animated films, Nomeo and Juliet as Lord Redbrick and Cars 2 as Finn McMissile. In 2012, he shows up in Journey to the Mysterious Island. He, let me see here, a few of these I don't recognize. Small roles in, um, small role in Interstellar. Uh, he kind of shows up for the Kingsmen. I mean, he just, he just kind of, shows up places and you're like oh okay i guess i guess michael kane is in this thing now and they're not they're not always big roles but it's him just kind of going look i'm michael kane i'm just i'm going to show up i'm going to do the thing it's very much a uh a tony hopkins uh nar situation where anthony hopkins will look through an entire script and if he can write nar next to any page that has his name on it uh he'll take the job because nar of course stands for no acting required uh, he just, oh, I just have to show up and be angry. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, oh, I just have to show up and do X. Sure, I can do that. And uh, because he's Michael Caine, these movies will pay handsomely for him to show up. Of course, Michael Caine's been taking those roles since Jaws 4. He said, I have not seen the movie, but by all accounts, it's pretty terrible. But I have seen the house that is purchased. And by all accounts, it's pretty great. So Michael Caine's been taking those kind of roles forever. And uh, you know what? Good for him. I can't. I can't really fault him for that. Um, no, not at like, all. Uh, like Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley does that a lot. Exactly. Except, except Ben Kingsley shows up in a lot of garbage. True. Uh, a lot of it, actually. Whereas most of those movies are are that that we just listed are actually somewhat watchable. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, I think if we went through Ben Kingsley's late period credits, uh, most of those would be like, wait, that was a movie that that came out. Did did people see that movie? Uh, to which the answer to most of those questions would be no. Yeah, very, very true. Very, very true. Yeah, Michael Caine, uh, again, I would say way overqualified for this movie. You, Here's the thing. I like Vin Diesel as a personality, and that is, I think, where Vin Diesel works best when he's in a film. He is a personality actor. Uh, you want a certain guy to do a specific thing, you hire a personality actor. And Vin Diesel is very good at doing that charismatic um leading man but like large imposing kind of bruiser leading man it, it's it's the dom toretto thing if you need dom toretto you hire vin diesel there's a moment it early in this movie where vin diesel is uh, calder's on the airplane and he's like trying to defuse the runes that he takes from that witch um and he's, he's sitting there trying to defuse them and this little kid looks back at him as this plane is like shaking and you know, the masks are falling down. This little kid looks back at him and he just smiles and winks at the little kid and the little kid smiles back. And I'm like, that's why you hire Vin Diesel. Like, that's what you need Vin Diesel to do. And unfortunately, he does not do nearly enough of that in this movie because the most of the rest of the movie, he's like, I'm playing a brooding person who's been around forever. You know, I'm, I'm basically Connor McLeod, this kind of ancient person wandering around, you know, cutting people's heads off. Um and so you don't get a lot of that charming Vin Diesel, which unfortunately that's like the only time in the movie where I'm like, Vin Diesel coming alive. Like that's what I wanted to see. Um, but then you get him like opposite Michael Caine and, and Michael Caine just feels like it's, he's running circles around Vin Diesel who, again, he's got a movie star quality. I like Vin Diesel, but he just seems a little in the weeds for, for portions of this movie. Yeah. And you can play immortal brooding person and still have some charisma uh just go watch highlander christopher lambert does a fantastic job of that correct oh yeah absolutely 
particularly um, with that, you know, Weasley little <laughs> laugh that he does all the time. Right. Um, I mean, it's great. So, yeah, Vin, this is Vin Diesel, not good as a leading man, I would not say. He's good in an ensemble. He's good in the, you know, situations you just described. Uh, but when he's got to lead a movie with bad dialogue to begin with, um, not good. And I think the script is is a big part of the culprit here. I should say, it, it, if it's not obvious, this episode is coming out uh, right now because uh, the new Fast and Furious movie is set to drop uh, around the release date of this episode. Uh, so that's why this ep- that's why you're listening to us talk about a Vin Diesel movie now. Um, I am on record as being uh, very fond of the Fast and Furious films. Uh, Brett is on record as not really having seen them. So uh, one day we hope that he will. And we hope that this movie and his uh, feelings on Vin Diesel in this movie do not put him off of that because they are good films that I like. You know, I completely understand these are this this performance is not indicative of his performances in the Fast and the Furious franchise. I will not hold this movie against him. And I and all of the other fans of the Fast and Furious franchise. Thank you for it. For sure. Um, Because it is a good franchise and it's a lot of fun. Actually, speaking of the Fast and Furious franchise, the filming of this movie was actually delayed because of the delays in the filming of Furious 7, which Vin Diesel was scheduled to do before this film, uh, because that film, of course, famously delayed uh, over the death of Paul Walker, who uh, passed away while that movie was wrapping up. Uh, So uh, famously, they brought in his brothers for some wide shots, um, used some composite photography from deleted scenes etc where they could um but for that reason this movie which was vin's direct follow-up to furious 7 also got delayed as a result which i find kind of interesting uh but yeah i mean this i i had i had a lot of fun with this movie i liked and again i liked the attempts at the uh the attempts at world building i thought were really fun the different kinds of witches that he encounters um, the degrees of duplicitousness which, with which they operate, I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, the witches in the uh, the fashion at the fashion show, I thought were really interesting. They have these little cubes that they carried around with them, like some kind of uh, enchantment charm or something, um, I think is, is what they were supposed to be. And when they're broken, uh, they li- they're like beautiful skin, like starts to like flake off and they're, look kind of like hideous crones or something was i did i read that right is that what because they don't really explain what that is they just kind of hint at it again very constantine-esque in that they kind of put these things out there but don't really dig into them too much no what i mean i think you're right that's absolutely what's going on there Um, okay but what what i liked about constantine and didn't like about this is at least in constantine you get a little bit more time with those things Mm -hmm. um we don't we don't spend a whole lot of time with the side characters um you know True. like uh the blind 14th level warlock uh, mm-hmm. i wanted to know more about that guy um instead of just you know well he's a warlock that deals in bugs in a bakery and then psychedelic bugs psychedelic bugs and then he's captured to be a conduit for the witch queen later um which and again, that sacrifice doesn't mean anything because that character doesn't mean anything to us. Like, I think if we'd spent a little more time with him or if that had been maybe the 36th Dolan, then maybe that would mean something to us beyond just, oh, okay. Wow, oh, that's a guy that he knew. Oh, shucks. Yeah. And and it's, and it's sort of the same with the, the, the fashion models, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you get a sense for the witches here mm-hmm. they're using some sort of charm to keep themselves looking young but you don't spend enough time with the the head one other than oh she's going to betray calder i mean that's it and most of that interaction is just the trap that she set for him correct yeah she, he doesn't interact with her really much at all um, mm-hmm. outside of oh you betrayed me i have to stop you right and then you know he he doesn't but chloe the good witch who thought she was a bad witch actually does end up i mean and she gets called basically anyone who helps calder at any point in this movie gets branded a traitor by uh 
Belial, the who's who we perceive to be the primary villain of the piece. Uh, he is merely a henchman, but for most of the movie, he's the guy that we're like, oh, he's the villain. He's the bad guy. And then it turns out, no, he's he's just a, a henchman trying to bring about the the resurrection of the Witch Queen, who looks sure. really freaking cool. Character design on the Witch Queen. Honestly, production design across the board in this movie, I thought was really fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll give I'll give credit there. Um, it looks really cool. Uh, well, so first of all, I, I, I constantly kept thinking that they're intentionally mispronouncing that guy's name. It should absolutely be Belial because, you know, it's a reference to a demonic entity in a lot of pop culture things yes um so i don't know why they chose to pronounce it differently probably to um probably to mislead the audience would be my guess or they just none of the people knew how to pronounce it correctly um but but no that's i mean that's my main problem with because like you see a lot of these things like like the witch bar that he goes to like it's you're not there very long and all it's just straight to the point this is why i think this movie needed about like 20 to 30 more minutes because there's just there nothing breathes it's just like he shows up at the witch bar i need a memory and like a memory potion and that's it and then you know the story progresses there's no like but then what are you going to do in the sequels brett you got to build that you got to keep building out the world in the sequels right well, that's the problem, isn't it? We've right. come to the problem we always come to. I was going to say, this is at this point, we're just like sounding, just, just beating a dead horse at this point. Because it, yes, this is the issue that we keep coming across in this on this podcast is the idea that Hollywood just wants to make sequels. They just want a franchise. They don't really care about making a good first movie. I think this is honestly a valiant attempt, but it doesn't quite get there for for a few different reasons. Yeah. And I think one of the main ones is the script, to be quite honest with you. Like the dialogue is pretty clunky. There are, it seems like subplots that got kind of underserved or completely overshadowed. It felt like this movie was trying to, was was way more ambitious than it really had the ability to be, uh, which is my major complaint about the movie, personally. Nice. I think that's definitely a valid uh, way to look at it. I think it uh, it wanted to do a lot more than it was able to do because mm-hmm. it's the other thing is the like the witch council like we see them for one scene and, and then they're they've dead. got some they've got some very like assassins council from john wick energy kind of yeah and, and then and then they're all dead and then they're and then they're no more yeah and that, that's it i mean and that that kind of speaks to this this you kind of briefly mentioned in just the stakes of the thing but that's part of the issue is that there aren't really a lot of stakes um you only find out that your main character can die toward the end of the movie uh it's and it and that becomes kind of the 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 stakes for the back half of the movie but until then nothing really matters because again these characters are so underserved they're they're great in like filling in the texture of the world which again is why i think the world building is more or less successful in this movie, um, but they don't really serve any purpose as characters. Um, they're 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 more set decoration than they are actual characters, which is a problem. Yeah, and, and I think I think the reason I don't agree with your opinion about the world building is because it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's incorporated into the world. It just it feels very separate. Like in, in Constantine, like. He's out in the real world, seeing stuff, seeing these monsters interact, like hiding among humans and interacting with them in certain ways. And it feels fleshed out. And like this, this is a world with supernatural stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in this movie, it's so disconnected. You like outside of maybe that scene with the warlock, like you don't really see these supernatural things interacting with the real world. Like there's, is disconnected. I don't feel like I don't feel like these are witches hiding among people. I just feel like there's it's not it's, there's not there's something missing there. I guess not enough not enough human characters. I think is what you're not enough characters that aren't directly involved in this thing. Like if he had like a a human buddy that he like buys stuff from the bodega at, like something like that. Yeah, maybe yeah, something more humanizing. I guess something that's just not. 
which I guess goes back to the script itself, right? Like there's no, there's no uh, self-insert or audience eye in this movie. It's supposed to be Elijah Wood for a chunk of it because he's the one that you're kind of explaining this stuff to. But then that makes his re- his role as a turncoat later in the film completely fall apart and kind of fell with a thud because for a while he's your audience surrogate and then he just kind of gets written out of the movie and then it's Chloe. Chloe then becomes our audience surrogate, but then she knows a lot of stuff about this world too. So you're right. It, it shifts hands. And at the end of the day, there's no one character that you're kind of, it should be Elijah Wood's character. It, that is the character it absolutely should be because he's the one who's getting introduced to all of this for the first time. But he's not though. Because apparently, apparently his his parents were witches. Apparently, right or as we learn at the witches, yeah. his, they they his parents were quote unquote killed by witches, and then we learn at yeah. the end of the film that his parents were witches who were killed by Vin Diesel. And then he spent his entire life training to be a Dolan, so he absolutely knows about this world. He knows what goes on, but he doesn't know about the specifics of what Calder does, which is why I think why when he comes into the movie when he does. He is supposed to be our audience surrogate character, or at least he should be our audience surrogate character. Um, but again, I ultimately don't think that works with because for the, for the reasons that we meant. And again, it's a script problem. The script needs to have someone in there for us to be able to latch onto. And because that person changes throughout the course of the movie, and then ultimately those characters end up knowing a lot more about the world than we do they kind of like grow past us and grow beyond our ability to keep up with it. So average John Q moviegoer is going to get really confused. I still think the world is really well fleshed out and I still think the pieces are there, but again, because of how it's executed. And again, that comes down to a basic script problem. Uh, it ultimately is unsuccessful. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what it was because, you know, I'll, I'll defend Constantine for its world building and think it's great and fleshing it all out. But for some reason, I just didn't, there was something missing here for me. I don't know what it was. We have well, the opposite the, opinion because you you didn't really think that much about Constantine. But no. I, but well, and again, a big part of my my opinions on Constantine were because it was uh, professing to be a comic book movie when it had so very little to do with the comic book that it was well true allegedly adapting. That was my that was my big issue with Constantine. But I, I mean, I mean, like the world building. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so I we, mean, we, I I liked aspects of it, sure, but again, I I ultimately didn't think it was. As I, I honestly, I prefer the world building here a little better, just again because of the layers and the texture of it. I thought, and there were some things in this that I really thought were fun, like the idea of a potions bar where you could go and just get potions. Um, and yeah, we don't really spend a lot of time there, but we get you know enough of a glimpse of it to kind of see what it ends up being. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. There again, and it. I think it comes down to the fundamental script issue. I think the the pieces are all there. I just don't know that they are. The script does its the script does its part to utilize them all properly and to make them necessarily feel part of the whole. But I ultimately I think the world building is probably my favorite part of this movie. Um, just that the idea that all this stuff kind of exists below the surface. Um, but yeah, I don't. Again, I don't think the script is is really good at, at utilizing it properly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Who knows? But I get, I mean, I think, I think we can both agree. The script is one of the, if not the big fundamental issue here. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the dialogue in this movie is not good. No, not, not at all. all. Not at all. And I mean, that's, but again, it's got kind of that action blockbuster problem. Uh, action blockbusters. I mean, since the eighties have notoriously had, terrible dialogue um that's just kind of been the hallmark of the uh, with obviously with exceptions um but for the most part those blockbusters action blockbusters don't have good dialogue and that's kind of a trope that they've continued to have uh unfortunately because i think that kind of becomes part of the issue uh when you're like well it's an action movie it's not supposed to have good dialogue but it should and why not yeah, you can't just fall back on, you know, the action should be enough to carry this movie. Like, why can't it be a well-rounded thing? Correct. Yeah, we'll just focus again, focus on making a good movie. Um, and, you know, some people love the cheesy dialogue. Some people love those those aspects of those things. But, you know, it's why not try to make the best movie you possibly can? But yeah, 
I mean, that's, that should be everybody's goal, right? Like make Correct. the best movie you can. Don't, uh, don't cut corners because you think those corners don't matter. Correct. Uh, I, I'm going to do a little Vin Diesel sidebar here. Talk a little bit about Vin Diesel uh, because he is, I would say the auteur of this particular, um, this particular film. Uh, and it's because of his rising star. So he gets his start in the late nineties uh, he shows up in Saving Private Ryan, and that's because Spielberg had seen like one of his early films and really liked it and was like, I want to put you in something. So he puts him in Saving Private Ryan. He's in he's the voice of the Iron Giant. Uh, he, and then in 2000, he gets his big break. He's in Boiler Room and he's in Pitch Black. The very next year, he does The Fast and the Furious. The year after that, he does Triple X. And at that point, he is. Vin Diesel movie star. Uh, so you get the Chronicles of Riddick in 2004. Uh, you get the Pacifier in 2005. Uh, Find Me Guilty in 2006. He's he's uncredited as in a small cameo in 2006 also uh, at the end of Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, where he shows up at the very end just to uh, remind everybody that they're watching a Fast and Furious movie. Because up to that point, no characters from either of the first two films had shown up. Uh, and then he's he does Babylon AD, which is another movie we could very well potentially talk about on this podcast one day. And then he's locked into franchise mode. He does Fast and Furious in 2009. Uh, he does Fast Five, Fast Six in uh, 2011 and 2013. Riddick in 2013. Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014. And Furious 7. So he is franchise guy. He's now got two major franchises or three, three made because guardians of the galaxy would totally count in there. He's, he's a part of three major franchises at that point uh, before this movie comes up. So you can see like Lionsgate and summit kind of going, well, if we get Vin Diesel in something, it's going to pop. Of course, summit had been like the brains behind or the, the people behind the twilight franchise. So, I mean, they'd already had that big powerhouse franchise, you know, in their coffers. So putting Vin Diesel in something seems like a no brainer for, for franchise gold. Um, and unfortunately, this movie was not particularly well received domestically. Foreign markets, completely different story, interestingly enough. Uh, but uh, within the within the domestic market, film market, uh, not well received at all in, in point of fact. Which is weird when I think about it. So first of all, I mean, we've seen that sort of thing before, right? Mm -hmm. you know, studios going, yeah, this is totally a sure thing. Look at how popular this thing is. Let's do it too. And then completely mm -hmm. failing. So there's there's another uh, dead horse we're beating uh, this yep. episode. Um, I mean, hey, this the, we're just playing the hits this episode. Yeah. Uh, but But this though, like... There's a lot of potential in this story. And I, I think that's maybe the other thing that was making me mad. Because I, I historically always get mad when a movie like this has so much potential and then just doesn't succeed mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Um, fantasy blending with modern day is a genre I very much like. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I mean, one of my favorite book series is the Dresden Files, and that is absolutely what that is. It's, you know, fantasy magic blending with modern day. And mm -hmm. and so, like, because, I mean, I'll give this movie credit. It's it's given me an, some ideas for my own D&D &D stuff because, uh, you know, integrating what, what would happen if, like, a D&D &D style world uh, advanced technologically to modern day and mm -hmm. what what would happen there and like i want to know in this universe is it just witches or are there other things which i'm sure the sequels might have gone into right uh, and i mean michael kane kind of addresses some of why the witches are on, underground at the beginning when he talks about the truce the uneasy truce between the witches and humans and the witches because of that had to kind of like lay low and you know basically become invisible as as a part of that so i mean we do get at least the movie attempts to answer some of those questions but 
Well, about the witches, sure. But I mean, like other supernatural things. Sure. And I, I would also very much like to see that. Are there, are there other supernatural monsters and oddities within this, within this world? Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess you could extrapolate from the, the, there, there are worse things out there. Than the working in the darkness. I mean, that if, darkness. that's your sequel hook right there. Oh yeah, absolutely it is. So yeah, it's just there's this movie had so much potential and it just didn't. Why? Just sucked. <laughs> I feel like Vin Diesel didn't have enough creative control over this movie. I feel like if he had, well, and I mean he is at this point. Let me actually let me pull his his IMDb back up here because I think he is signed on as a producer here. Let me just verify the correctness of that. Yes, so he is. Attacked as a producer. And basically, I mean, if he comes on as a producer, he's, from what I understand, a pretty hands-on producer, but he's he's not directing the film. He's not writing the film. I mean, literally, the film comes about because uh, I think Carrie Goodman was the screenwriter, uh, basically has conversations with, uh, Corey Goodman, I'm sorry, has conversations with Vin Diesel specifically about his D&D Witch Hunter character. And that becomes the basis for Calder. And I mean, Vin Diesel's, this is also the guy who came to, I think it was New Line with a stack of like bound and locked books, like script manuscript books, and lays them in front of the head of the studio and says, uh, these are the next three chapters of the Riddick saga, and uh, you can open them for X amount of million dollars a piece. Like the balls to be able to like walk into a, a meeting and, and pitch that that way. Um, but they basically had to buy the rights for the movie and then they would get a chance to read the script. He's like, I got the scripts already, but unless you commit to making the movie, you can't read them, which again, balls. Um, but, I, but again, that's the kind of filmmaker that Vin Diesel is. And he is, I think he knows his power as a movie star. And because I think this was such a passion project for him, passion projects are where people tend to get a little blind. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about Barry Levinson's passion project, Toys, uh, and uh, why that kind of was his downfall as a filmmaker. Um, and, you know, there the, the premise of the Blank Check podcast is kind of the this idea that pe- people like work to make these passion projects and sometimes they just kind of fall apart. Like they don't, because this is the thing that you've been wanting to make your entire career. uh, And then you finally get a chance to make it and you get kind of unbridled control to make it exactly how you want to. And there aren't enough people around you questioning your decision-making a lot of things can go wrong. And maybe that's a part of it too. Like his run up to this movie is pretty unimpeachable. I would say the last major, major flop he's had is in 2008 with Babylon AD. But the Riddick franchise is still pretty strong, if if not waning. The Fast and Furious franchise keeps getting bigger at this point. Um, and then, of course, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, this guy is proven he's he's a he's a proven commodity at this juncture. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take a swing on a property that he's clearly very passionate about? Because it's based on literally a character that he created and that he plays with. It's very personal to him. So and I think that and that and I think right there is the problem. Is that's and that's what I'm saying. That's kind of the yeah. point I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 his character. He's passionate about it, but he's not the one writing the script. Ah. He's yeah. not the one directing the movie. Like, sure, he's got creative control and he's producing it, but like he's not writing the dialogue. Like it, it would be like if if I wanted to make a movie about my D and D character right now and asked you to write the script for it, sure. Um, without any, I don't know if he had any input script at all. Um, I would I would assume he ha- would have uh, approval as a producer, but sure. But you know, but it, but it, it would be like me doing that and then like not telling you anything other than the broad strokes of what this character's like, what he stands for, what he does you know have at it beyond that right and i mean the the dialogue itself is i would say probably the biggest kind of clunky culprit here and i'm i'm looking to see if there's any kind of indication that there were problems on set and i'm not seeing any um 
I mean, it was a long shoot. It looks like it went from September 5th to December 5th in 2014. So it looks like it was a pretty long shoot, but it also looks, I mean, there was probably a lot involved. This is a pretty effects heavy movie. So, so that I can't speak of. I will say, interestingly, the original director they had hired on here is the director uh, Timur Bakmembetov, uh, who directed, you might remember, uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. But he was the original choice uh, to direct this film. And then he was replaced by TV director Breck Eisner. I say TV director because he's really only directed three films. And most of the stuff he's directed have been television at this point he's directed a couple short films and a couple episodes of television and a tv movie his his original his first theatrically released film is the again potential future episode of this podcast sahara starring matthew mcconaughey steve zahn and penelope cruz uh and then he does in 2010 he does the horror movie the crazies uh and then this is his uh third and to date final film uh he's not made another film since this one uh, but he has returned to tv he did an episode of a tv series called the brave and has directed 12 episodes of a tv series called the expanse so oh the expanse i like mostly like the expanse <laughs> i can i can run down the episodes he's directed and see if you like those maybe it's uh maybe it's a breck eisner problem were any of those in season four uh let's find out we're gonna take. We're gonna completely derail the podcast here and look at it. I'm genuinely curious because I stopped watching The Expanse in season four because it got boring. He did two in 2017, which was the first year. Two in 2018, which was the second year. One, two, three, four in 2019, which I would assume would cover seasons three and four. So mostly good stuff. Then I can't really complain. And then he's done a few uh, more recent. I mean, he's directed at least uh, an episode or two every year. So, all right. Well, I mean, look. Pretty good. Yeah, for first three seasons of that show, very good, very solid. I I've not seen it, so I would not know. I am at this present moment in time debating whether I should start watching um, Babylon Five. Uh, Breck Eisner, it should be mentioned, uh, son of former Disney Studio head Michael Eisner. Oh, so you know nothing like a little nepotism to get you through the day. I mean, that seems par for the course with the Eisner family. Uh, I mean, par for the course for Hollywood in general, really, let's be mm, honest. Yeah, fair. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. Uh, Eisner, not a common name, went ahead and looked it up. And in fact, yes. Yes, he is. So there you go. Neat. Neat. I just think it's neat. <laughs> um, anything else you want to discuss about The Last Witch Hunter? I mean, we've kind of made our feelings on this one pretty clear. Uh, I do like Rose Leslie. I wish she would get more work, quite frankly. Uh, I thought she was great on Game of Thrones and I uh, would love to see her make more movies, but that's agreed, agreed. That's my opinion. She was also uh, really good on Downton Abbey when she was on Downton Abbey. Yeah, I should go check out more of her stuff. I really did like her in this movie. So, yeah, if you haven't seen uh, Game of Thrones, you might watch the first few seasons of Game of Thrones because she's pretty good in those. Why would I put myself through that? I mean, fair enough. I just, you know, I'm just saying it's 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 a thing she did and she's really good in it. So. Yeah, but I don't want to really commit to a series that I'm just going to end up hating. I mean, fair enough. It's, uh, I, you know, I stopped, and I can't really talk because I stopped watching that show um, like three different times before like finally like stopping for good, washing my hands of it all. I think I finally stopped watching for good at the finale of season six. And I was like, I don't need to watch any more of this. But I like stopped originally, I think after like season three. And then again, I was like, well, this keeps coming out. People keep talking about it. Maybe I'll go back. And then I stopped again after season five. Then I kept hearing good things about season. I'm like, fine, I'll watch season six. And I got to the end of season six. And I'm like, why didn't I just listen to myself the first two times? So I'm not one of those people who's like, I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. And that makes me a unique human being. But I am one of those people who's like, look, I tried Game of Thrones. I liked Game of Thrones for a little while. And then it just got to be the epitome of too much. So... Yeah. no thanks don't don't get it twisted i'm not one of those people like sure. I, I, i've never seen an episode of game of thrones i don't think that makes me a unique human being i just think that means i didn't have hbo when it started sure by the time i got hbo i didn't care there so. you go there you go by the time you got hbo it had already ended and as such you were uh you'd already heard all of the complaints and were therefore not interested in starting 
Yeah, there we go. Because you're one of those who you feel like if it doesn't, if if I remember conversations with you, if if you if you know it like gets curtailed or cut short, you're kind of like, then why the heck am I watching it? Why am I going to get invested in these characters if I know it doesn't get past season like two or three? Or if I know it's going to end terribly, why am I going to invest in it? Exactly. You, you are very correct. That is exactly how I look at it. Um, I've been burned too many times. And yeah, like I, I, Supernatural is that way with me. I stopped watching it multiple times, picked it back up multiple times, learned how it ended, and I just got mad. So I'm never going to finish it. I, uh, I watched, I stopped at the end of season five and I was like, you know what? That's good. That was the place where they originally wanted to end it. Yeah. I feel okay with that. Yeah. Just stop right there. You're fine. And, and that's what, and I tell people that and they're like, oh, but you're missing. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. No. It, are there really great episodes later? Sure. I would hope so. Is it, is it worth watching 10 more seasons of? No, <laughs> no, it isn't. Go watch something else. Right. Right. Do yourself a favor and don't do that thing. So the last witch hunter opens on October 23rd, 2015. It opens in fourth place, uh, which again, not, not a great metric to open on. Yikes. Uh, yeah. A, a big oof, big swing and an oof there uh, in number one uh, in its fourth week down from number or up from number two, the week before a movie that I am consistently surprised ran like a blockbuster. Uh, it's the Martian. Ridley Scott's The Martian, uh, starring Matt Damon. Yeah. Oh, that movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that movie ran like a blockbuster. It's already grossed $166 million. I had no idea. Yeah, and is on its way to be a major Oscar player. It was a major Oscar player, too? Yes. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then in second place, down from number one the week before, is Goosebumps. I mean, that's a solid movie. I, re yeah. I really enjoyed the first Goosebumps movie. It's a lot of fun. In uh, number three, uh, in its second week, uh, it's holding steady uh, from its first week or from its previous week is the Steven Spielberg Oscar player Bridge of Spies. Yeah, I got nothing for that one. Uh, that's uh, Mark Rylance's Oscar from that movie. And uh, big, big Mark Rylance fan. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, and then Last Witch Hunter is in fourth place. And then uh, in fifth place, a spooky, fun animated sequel. It's uh, Hotel Transylvania 2. Oh, what if okay. there was a hotel in Transylvania again? Uh, and okay. then rounding out the top 10, we have in sixth place, uh, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, uh, which I don't know what number that was, but we we talked recently with Kat Scully about the Paranormal Activity movies. I don't know where that one falls, though. Yeah, I think, I think it's later. Maybe like four or five. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Uh, number seven, another potential, another future Oscar player, Steve Jobs. Uh, in eighth place, um, what most people consider to be a, a pretty big misstep for Guillermo del Toro, but I always kind of liked it. Uh, Crimson Peak, uh, I thought was kind of a fun movie. Man, I never saw it. I always wanted to. It's good, man. I liked yeah, it. I don't know. I you you might you might agree with everyone else who hates it, but I uh, I really liked it. Uh, it's gothic horror, so I mean, be ready for gothic horror because yeah. it is. It's like the epitome of gothic horror. Is and gothic I will... horror done by Guillermo del Toro? How could I not like that movie? I, I'm just saying, man. People didn't like it. There is a twist in that movie that is um, not fun. <laughs> I'll just say that. And it turned a lot of people off. Uh, but again, if you're invested in what you're watching, it makes sense. Um, but I see why it would turn people off. It's it's not fun. Um, in ninth place, you have the movie uh, The Intern, the Nancy Myers film The Intern. Uh, and then in 10th place is another potential Oscar player at Sicario. So there you go. There's, there's the top 10. Uh, this movie gets an 18% tomatometer score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the critics consensus here, grim plotting and an overall ill fit for Vin Diesel's particular charms, all of which I think you would agree with. The Last Witch Hunter will bore and or confuse all but the least demanding action fantasy fans. Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit harsher than I would go on it, but sure. I mean, I, that's why I stopped after the first half and said this, you would probably agree with mm. the back half. Not so much. No, because I wouldn't say I was bored, but I don't know if I wasn't no. bored because I was, I mean, I was really trying to like this movie right up until the end. Like as, 
please give me something to love about this film. I want to love it so much. I un- I understand, man. And I was I was right there with you. I but again, I I had fun with it. Like I is it like the best movie? No. Is it even really a good movie? No, but it's I, it it has its moments that I thought were pretty fun. Uh, Metascore is 34 based on 22 generally unfavorable critic reviews. Uh, And then on Letterboxd, it gets a score of 2.4. Brett, how did you rank this movie out of five? Probably two. I think two is good. Two and a half is a bit too generous. Which is where that's where I landed is two and a half. Yeah. So I, I think two is good. For one star for the premise and one star for all the ideas it gave me for my D&D stuff uh, in my own life. So there, there we go. There's my rating. There you go. That's fair. Whereas, again, I went two and a half. Um, is it a good movie? Not particularly. But I, again, I had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with the premise, had a lot of fun with the world building. Um, honestly, kind of would like to see like Calder in like fighting witches throughout history would love to see, even though it's kind of referenced in this movie as something that didn't happen, would love to see Calder at Salem kind of trying to like put, put right everything that went wrong at Salem. I think that would be a really interesting premise for a film. Um, But yeah, we will probably never see it. Although uh, as of March of last year, so March 10th, 2020, a week before the world fell apart, literally, uh, Vin Diesel announced that Lionsgate had been talking about a sequel. Uh, obviously, the pandemic probably put the kibosh on a lot of that. Uh, not sure how they'd feel now about a uh, a sequel to a film that involves uh, a plague spreading across the earth as uh, its kind of major finale set piece. Uh, but uh, who knows? I, I mean... I mean, this is in this movie. Like, it doesn't really. The sequel doesn't even have to mention it. I mean, uh, sure, it feels disingenuous if it doesn't. Of course, it's been now six years since the original. Are are people really clamoring? I should mention. Uh, I did not mention the gross on this film, and I probably should have, uh, because the gross is really kind of insane. Uh, so this film only grosses twenty seven point three million domestically. Gross is 103.5 million internationally. Like those international box office numbers were insane for a total worldwide box office of 130, 130.8 million dollars. So still manages to make quite a bit of money uh, for the studio. And so you can see why they might be tempted to try for a a sequel on this one if not for the domestic then for the box office numbers at least yeah but i I don't know what it is man but like apparently hollywood doesn't give two shits about international box office because oh i they sometimes they give a few too many shits about the international box office but well but i mean so well i look at examples like this movie and like uh, world of warcraft that made just a ungodly shit ton of money in china uh mm-hmm. but they're never going to make a sequel to that so no well i think and I, I think if you have someone to champion it like vin diesel it seems more likely to happen like i think of this one probably in very similar terms to constantine if vin diesel's star does not fade and he pushes to get it made it'll probably get made kind of like if keanu really pushes for Constantine to get made, it'll get made. Like the sequel to Constantine will probably get made, even though it's been like 20 years since that one came out or something ridiculous, close to 20 years. Like if Keanu wishes it, if if Keanu wills it, it will be. And I think Vin, if Vin is the one trying to push this ball up the hill, I think he's a compelling enough box office draw. As long as he remains that compelling a box office draw, I think people will show up for it. And I mean, I think a lot of it will depend on how this Fast and Furious movie dropping tomorrow is going to turn out, because if it does the big numbers that I think the studio is hoping for, I mean, they pushed it back a year so that it could open in theaters. If if that gamble pays off, then, you know, Vin could be riding high yet again. I, I don't think we really got to worry about that, do we? Uh, I, I would I would not anticipate so. Uh, I mean, that franchise is is bigger than I think a lot of people realize there's a whole Netflix show based around that franchise starring Vin Diesel's daughter. Uh, Like it's it's a whole thing. And I think Vin Diesel actually like shows up on that show like 
just as as Dom Toretto every once in a while if if I'm if I'm am not mistaken. So I mean, you know, like that that franchise is huge. People absolutely love it, uh, and it's good. Like I get why uh, you really should probably watch it at some point. Uh, and it's it's one of those weird ones where like you have to get through like the first four movies that are degrees of um, good before you get to like the best one, which is five. And that's the one that locks in the premise that the rest of the movies just keep taken to the bank. Yeah, I, I mean, and I will. It's just two, two, two problems. One, they're not all easily streamable right now. My hope is that some intrepid um, streaming service will have them all up in advance of the new film. That's my hope. I mean, HBO Max has done that with the Conjuring films. They've done that with, or they did that with uh, the Saw films too, in advance of uh, Spiral. So, I mean... A film franchise that knows or a studio that knows what's up would probably do that. Now, that is a franchise that is owned by Universal. So if it does show up anywhere, it will probably be on Peacock, which means it will either be a uh, behind the their paywall Peacock Plus or B streaming with commercials. So I've either got to pay for a trial of Peacock or I've got to um, watch with commercials. So. Well, I got a free trial to burn with them. I haven't used that yet. So, you know, if they do that. But again, right now, I think only one of those films is actually streaming. I think it's Fast and Furious 6 is the only one actually currently streaming. As of this recording, we are recording this a couple of weeks in advance. So bear with us there. At this point, they may all be out on Peacock. And this is inconsequential. So, yeah, because I really I don't want to go drop like 20 bucks renting all of these movies. Um, I understand. I mean, sure. I'm sure they're good. But the, the other thing, too, second point, is uh, it feels a lot like uh, when you're talking to a fan of a long book series mm-hmm. and they're like, you just got to get through the first like seven books, man. And then the rest, the 10, the other 10, man, it's just so, so good. But like, man, I don't want to slog through four movies before they get good. Here's the thing. I I am. I'm a big fan of Too Fast, Too Furious which a lot of people like to clown on and a lot of people like to dunk on. I think it's actually a really solid movie. It's John Singleton. So like it's actually well-directed and there's some really fun stuff that it's doing. Um, And and Tokyo Drift number three is a lot of people's favorite entry in the franchise. So, I mean, two of those three are solid. Um, Number one is just a point break ripoff with cars. So if you like Point Break, there's no reason why you shouldn't like the first movie. And then four, I will not make any apologies for four. Four is just bad. All right. So four is my least favorite in the franchise. Um, so there is probably some staunch defender of the fourth Fast and Furious movie out there just cursing my name right now. And you know what? That's fine. Uh, tell me why I'm wrong. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Disenfranchpod on Twitter. Um, let us know, man. Let us know why the fourth one is the best one in the franchise. Again, don't know why that's an opinion you would have, but let's hear it. I'll, I'll hear you out. And so will I, because I have no context. There you go. Yeah, Brett has no context. So there you go. I'll, uh, I'll make sure he sees them because he's not on social media much. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, that's, I guess, our episode. Uh, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. We are uh, also on Twitter, Letterboxd. Not in the letterbox, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisenfranchPod. Uh, shoot us a uh, an email. Let us know of a failed franchise starter you would like to see, and we will try to get it in as soon as we can. Uh, also, if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and let us know in that review um, a movie that you would like to see us cover, we'll probably get that covered as well. Uh, thanks to our buddy Tucker for being the most recent person as of this recording to drop us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate you, buddy. But I, Stephen Foxworthy, one of your hosts, I can be found on uh, fa- or not Facebook, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at Chewy Walrus. Uh, Brett, such as you are on social media, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire and on Instagram at Sus underscore Warlock. Fantastic. So until next week, when we cover yet another failed franchise starter, uh, I am Stephen Foxworthy. And for my co-host, Brett Wright, 
Until next time, by iron and fire. <laughs>